Good morning, North Point. How are you doing today? Good morning, North Point. How are you doing today? Oh, good. Good to hear. Welcome to those of you tuning in online from Vagerville and Chauvin. Uh, my name's Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here on staff. And today is a special day, not just because we get to hang out together here and in Vagerville and in Chauvin and online. Today's a special day because today is the anniversary of the day that my wife made the greatest choice she's ever made in her life next to their choice in Jesus. Today is our wedding anniversary. Yes, yes, come on. 12 years ago, 12 years ago, she became a very blessed woman, you know? <laughs> they say marry up, and I, I, sure won, I sure won the lottery with her. Uh, I'm a blessed man, and as you all know, because you have to put up with my jokes all the time, pray for that woman. She needs your prayers. She's got to live with me. She's done it for 12 years. And so I'm excited to share this day with her and with you guys. As we continue this Philippians series, we are a month in today. And last week, Pastor Mike wrapped up chapter one in Philippians, where for the last three weeks, we've been digging into the Apostle Paul's words. He's been encouraging the church. He's been talking to believers in Christ, those who have made the choice, like so many of you here and online have made, so many of you in Vagerville have made, to follow after Jesus, to say, I want to follow Jesus with all my life. And here's Paul writing to these believers, and he's encouraging them, he's praying for them, he's spurring them on. And then we get into chapter two today, and his tone starts to change a little bit. He foreshadows it a little bit in chapter one. But what Paul's about to do in chapter two is he's about to dig in to some issues that are creeping into the church. In any gathering of people you get in, in any space or place in the entire world, there's always going to be issues that try to make their way in, but especially the church, especially in followers of Christ. And we're going to find out why it matters to, to recognize this, why it matters that Paul begins to write to these believers, and so he starts to address an issue right away of disunity that's actually creeping in. And he sees this happening, and, and in chapter four, he's even gonna address it even more specifically. But today, this is what he says to these believers in Philippians 2, one to two. He says, therefore, if there's any encouragement in Christ, if any consolation of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent, on one purpose. And so we hop into chapter two, and he's been saying, I'm so thankful for you guys, and, and he expresses to them, and he just believes so deeply that he who began a good work in them is gonna continue that work to completion, and he's spurring them on, but he's saying like, listen, but there's this issue that's showing up, and there's almost this plea and this urgency that shows up in Paul's words now, where he says, come on, church. He's like, catch what I'm saying here. He's saying if there's any encouragement to be found, any comfort, any joy, any friendship, any connection to the Spirit, if your faith has actually impacted your life, then make my joy complete by being united, but by standing together in the Spirit with one purpose, and in so many ways, this is a reiteration of what Paul has just been foreshadowing. He said to them in Philippians 1.27, where he spurs them on and he says, listen, as believers in Christ, would you live lives worthy of the gospel? 
And then again in that, he says, would you stand firm, striving together in one spirit, together in unity, together. Paul's getting this point across that he understands that unity for these believers and for the church that he's ministering to is so key. Because Paul understands that if they are to grow and mature in their faith in Christ, if they're going to be effective as followers of Christ and as the church to minister to those around them, then they must have unity. But there's some issues creeping in that are pushing back against their unity. I don't know if you've ever planned to hang out with some friends or another couple and maybe you went out somewhere or you went to their house for a board games night and you show up and the minute you start to share space, you know that before you got there, there's been some bickering, there's been some fighting, maybe they've been married 12 years and one of them didn't say anything online when he preached, ha ha, I didn't make that mistake, did I? Come on. And you show up and the, and the tension's there and, and maybe they were bickering before or maybe you got some friends that they're always at each other and they can just never find common ground and every time you hang out with them, it's just so awkward. And you sense that tension and the tension's so thick you could cut it with a knife. It's colder in that room than it is in Edmonton in December and you're just like, I already have to live through that for like nine months a year. I don't want to live through this tonight. You ever been in that moment where it's just awkward? and you're caught in the tension of disunity. If you're like, no, I've never been in that moment, it's probably because we're talking about you. <laughs> right? When you're in that moment, it changes everything. Like if you go to hang out with people and you're looking to have a good time and you're looking to have fun and you're looking to maybe fulfill some purposes and you know, whatever the purpose is now is almost lost in the disunity because it's awkward and we just want out of those moments, out of those situations, it can literally change the vibe, it can change the atmosphere, it can change everything. See, unity is one of those funny things that we probably don't spend a whole lot of our lives thinking about. I don't wake up each day and think about, oh man, like, you know, I, I hope I experience unity all day today. It's just not the first thought I have. Like if I'm being honest, and maybe, the, maybe you're wired that way and you wake up and you're like, I hope I have unity today. But I think most of us, we get up and we live our lives and we don't notice unity until it's not present. You see, unity is not a problem for us until it's actually a problem for us. It's not on our radar. Because when unity is not present, it shakes everything up that much. There's a complete difference that can happen. About a month ago, we heard from Pastor Hope as she stood on this very stage in a series where she talked about disunity and the importance of unity in the lives of believers. And she shared with us over and over in Scripture's call to unity in our lives. And here Paul is talking to the church and saying, unity for you as believers and unity for you as the church is so important because there's brokenness all through the world and in lives because of disunity. The impact that it has on our faith and our ability as believers to live out God's call is something that Pastor Hope highlighted very well. And she shared this line to us. She said that a polarized church has nothing to offer to a polarized world. What a powerful line. A line worth us writing down and, and chewing on it and continually coming back to. 
To a disunited and broken and scattered world, a church has nothing to offer if they aren't united. A kingdom divided against itself cannot stand. When we as the church are not united, the world around us, people searching for Jesus will look at what we have to offer and they'll say, no thank you. I don't want what you're selling. I don't want what you have. I don't want what you think you have. Because why would they wanna be a part of a fighting family? Most people already have that, right? They don't need to show up on Sunday to get it too. They're looking for something different. When we don't have unity as the church, it speaks something that's not biblical and it's not from the heart of Jesus. Unity as believers is absolutely key. And I know it, because this room is so silent. You see, unity as believers is key because of this. Real unity, it impacts. That's exactly what this is pointing to. It impacts. It tells people there's something worth checking out here. There's something that you carry with your life that's worth checking out. It's worth time and effort. It's so impacting that you just might want to pay attention. It perks the ears and directs the eyes of those looking for exactly what Christ brings into our lives and calls us to. It says there's something different here than what you're looking for everywhere else in the world. The second thing real unity does is it invites. It invites people to come and see. Not just to catch, not just to have their ears perked, but to catch, hey, there's something different here and I should come and check it out. It invites people to a place where, where they will want to come and experience the, the hope and the joy and the grace and the mercy that you yourself have found in Christ because you're living united with one another in a way that peace has been brought into your life and grace has been brought into your life and you can't help but live it out and the rest of the world goes, what's different about you? And your life invites them to come experience that and says, what I have here is for you also. It invites people to the cross to the only place they can find real hope, new life, and lasting purpose. And our world is looking for it. In real unity, it involves people. When we live as the church with real unity, it can't help but involve those around us. Because real unity, it doesn't say just come and see. It doesn't just invite them to come and see. It actually says you belong here. Man, you might think different than me. You might not have this figured out. Man, you might be misinterpreting everything, but we're believing in a maturing and a, a growth in you spiritually. Now, I don't have to fight you on every word you say. I don't have to fight every ideology you have. I can love you where you're at and allow the spirit of Christ to be at work in your life. And so I involve you in here and say, you belong here. We're actually better when you show up. Hallelujah. When you hop online, when you show up in Vagerville. When you show up in Chauvin, we're better together. And the reason that we know that is because God's word says that each and every one of his creation has been uniquely created for impact in this world. He has a work that he's doing in and through each of us that's worth the rest of the world seeing. He wants to impact those around you. But we need real unity that involves each of us and says, let's be on mission together. Let's be on mission together. We know that scripture constantly calls us back to this place. There's a powerful prayer that you'll, you'll hear from Jesus himself in John 17, 20 to 21. 
And he prays that believers would be united, that they would be one as he is one with the Father. And that the unity that we would have with one another would actually draw the world around us to faith in Christ. Jesus prays this for us, that we would be united. Would you be one in Christ the way that he is one with the Father? So that the unity amongst all of us, the, the unity that we have when we join together would say something to the world that would draw their faith to Christ. Yet, how often do we find ourselves fighting each other? We fight each other. We, we, we fight our brothers and sisters in Christ. We, we find ourselves divided and fighting other believers. And it's so often over things that really do not matter at all. But sometimes they do matter. Sometimes we fight about things that do matter, but we've taken such a hostile and angry stance that it really doesn't matter what our motive is because when you don't say it in love, when there's no ability to say it with grace, you're never gonna be heard anyways. Um, Billy Graham years ago, he said that a man convinced against his will is a man who remains unconvinced still. You wanna argue someone into the kingdom? You wanna argue someone to your point of view? It won't work. They might just go, yeah, okay. I hear what you're saying and nod and smile because they're so sick of your voice, they can't wait to get out of the room, right? Or they're hitting delete so fast on the email that you've wasted all of your time because you've done nothing out of unity. And we do this in church all the time. We take these hostile, angry stances and we fight about politics and Bible translations and what the church is doing wrong and we get caught up gossiping about what we don't like and how things could be better and we can't stand this person. We can't even believe these people, they show up on a Sunday. Man, do you know how they live Monday to Saturday and they show up Sunday, they even take communion. How dare they? We become the judge and executioner of other Christians, of other believers, of other, uh, other young believers who are learning what it means to walk in the grace of Christ. And when we live this way, we actually become the religious Pharisees we read about in scripture who are gatekeepers to God and poison to the grace of Christ. And churches that function like this cannot stand. Believers that act this way will never thrive. And the world around us will forever reject anything we have to say or anything we offer. They'll just reject it because a polarized church has nothing to offer a polarized world. Intense, I know, I'm sweating from it, come on. We cannot miss the unity of believers in Christ matters. The unity that we have as the church shows up and it makes an impact. And Paul knows this. He knows the impact on, on believers' lives and on the church, and so he urges them to be united, and then what I love about Paul is he doesn't just leave them standing there. He's like, hey, listen, like if there's, there's any merit to your faith, would you just be united? Good luck with that. But he goes on in verses three to four to say, like if you actually want to be united, here's how you can pursue living this way. He tells them do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests. And we have a hard time with that one, don't we? not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of others. It's such like, Paul, Paul's never not intense, it seems, right? 
He's just to the point and says, listen, you want to live this out? You want, you want to be united? Live this way. And everything he's saying here is so countercultural to the world around us, especially in 2023. We, we live in a world that says, like, look after number one, right? Look after yourself first. Hey, you come first. You're number one. You know, elevate yourself because no one else will. So you need to do that and do what feels right for you and make sure everybody knows that you're the smartest person in the room and that you're right about everything you say and do whatever it takes to get ahead. You first, you most. And Jesus shows up and he flips all of this on its head. He flips this on, his head, on, on its head. He calls believers to serve one another. He calls us to live with a care and concern for those around us. He, he actually calls us to die to ourselves that we would die to ourselves and, and follow after him and that we come to this understanding that it is God who elevates us. And so we don't need to actually elevate ourselves. It's not hard to see when you look at the world around us uh, that living in a culture that's blinded by selfish amb ambition and vain living has been catastrophic for the health of relationships and for unity in our world. We probably all have stories of how unity has been robbed from our lives and the spaces that we live in and our families and whatever it is by the, the, the disunity that's caused by selfish living and, and, and vain living and selfish ambition and all these things that come in and corrupt our unity. The result for our world has been a world full of social injustices and social inequalities. Everywhere we look, we live in a world full of relationships that because of disunity have fallen apart. The relationships and marriages and families that have fallen apart. The result's been a world full of ineffective and stagnant churches that are more like social clubs than the beacons of hope and life in Christ that they are called to be. The result's a world full of nominal Christians who want everything Christ has to offer with no cost to their own lives. And so they live lives where they've never for a moment thought about dying to themselves and picking up their cross. And living that way has been so damaging to the name of Christ, to the person of Jesus, to the cost of the cross. Because as they live these lives of nominal Christianity, and when we live this way, this is what will happen. We can only bring disunity into every space and every church that we enter because we're living for ourselves instead of the one who unites. And I have to wonder how different does our world look? How different do our lives and our interactions with each other become if we do nothing from a place of arrogance, nothing from a place of pride? Because that's really the breakdown of what Paul's saying. That we would do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, but instead in humility, would we see one another and love one another and value one another the same way that Jesus loves and sees and values every one of us and poured out his life? And what's amazing is that we can only find ourselves unified with those around us when we live like that. It's the beautiful truth that we get to pull from this today. And when we, when we, we choose to live with that humility when we choose to live a life that pushes back against selfish ambition and vain conceit, we can only find ourselves united. You see, people who show genuine care and interest in others, they're so magnetic to those around them. 
Do you, you know a person like that? That they, they just, their care and concern for everyone around them, every time you're in their presence, they, they just love you so deeply and they care about your life and, and they, they probably listen more than they ever talk and, and they just show up into your hardest moments and they, they're, they're just there and they love you where you're at no matter the mistake you made. Do you have someone like that in your life? Because these people are magnetic and game changers as they call people to unity. I know someone like that. He's joining us on staff as of today. His name's Pastor Michael Cowie. And I've had the honor of knowing him since I was in college. And, and, and he loves people deeper than almost anybody I've ever known, right where they're at for exactly who they are and shows them the grace and mercy of Christ. And everyone is magnetically drawn to this man as he lives out this way. And the amount of people he's called into faith, the amount of lives and hearts that have been ministered to by Jesus because of his willingness to spur others on and love them where they're at it is inspiring for me. People like that inspire us. And as we live that way, we can't help but spur others on. And what it does is it encourages others in their faith and on to faith. And we need to live this way. Paul says, instead of living self-focused, prideful lives that create disunity, instead let humility be at work in your lives. Let humility be at work. Because humility is what's gonna help us to see and hear the needs of those around us. It, it helps us to get our hearts right, to make sure that we're pursuing the right things with the right heart and the right motives. And humility reminds us that the world doesn't just revolve around us. Sometimes it feels that way. I get caught up in that. We're not always right. Everything's not just about our issues and about us. Humility takes the blinders off. And it's so easy to have those blinders on. I have them on all the time. And God wants to take those blinders off so that we can walk in humility and live this out. C.S. Lewis once said this. He said, true humility isn't thinking less of yourself. It's thinking of yourself less. 1 Peter 5.5 5 says, clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Clothe yourself, all of you, with humility towards one another. Why? For God opposes the proud, but he gives grace. That's good. He gives grace to the humble. We need that. To live this out, to walk in humility, we need that. And God's grace and favors on those who choose to walk with humility. That's what we're told. On those who walk with humility, his grace and favor is found. It's found on those who, who walk with those people or that person that just boils your blood with that circumstance that so frustrates you with the, that, that indifference that never seems to get worked out. In a world where we just cancel each other or we so quickly walk out of the door, where we so often gossip and slander and disassociate and find ourselves divided, Jesus shows up and flips the script and calls us to fight for each other, instead of with each other. It says fight for each other. And he promises the grace and the favor that we need to accomplish this. What's amazing is how quickly issues of disunity disappear when we live humble lives that can't help but express care and concern for those around us. Even the hardest, most frustrating circumstances, even the hardest, most frustrating things cannot divide those who are willing to live with humility in their lives. And Paul urges these believers, he says, would you be united? Would you do everything with humility? And then once again, he doesn't leave them. He says, listen, you wanna be united? Live with humility. And then he says, you wanna understand what humility is? He points them to the greatest example we've been given in history of humility lived out for us. It's the person of Jesus. And he says this to them in verse five. He says, in your relationships with one another, 
in your interactions, in your daily lives where you live with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Then he continues on. He points them to Christ and says, when you take on the mindset, the attitude of Christ Jesus as you live out, you wanna be humble in your lives? Be like Jesus. He says he's the perfect example. Go and understand who he is. Dig deep and understand who he calls you to be. Live like Christ. Have that mindset and that attitude. And then in verses six to 11, he unpacks one of the greatest moments possibly in the New Testament of Christology, who Christ is and the price that he paid so that they might not wonder. He says, be like Christ. And catch this, who being in very nature, God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, and that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Amen? Amen. He says, be like Christ. He says, be like Christ. He says, this is who Jesus is. The very person in history who could have held everything against you who could have kept you at an arm's length, who could have showed up as king and ruler and iron-fisted the world into his power and into his glory, showed up humbly and died a criminal's death on the cross for you and for me. He laid himself down in obedience to the Father. He prayed, Father, not my will be done, but your will be done. It was about God's heart in God's purpose. It wasn't because of what Jesus could get in return. What's amazing is it wasn't contingent even on us loving him back. He didn't force us to that. It wasn't contingent on us doing what he wants or not being a mess. We're told that while, while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He thought of you right where you're at and said, you're worth it. The humility of Christ poured out love in a compassionate and grace-filled way. The work of the cross was accomplished by an overwhelming and unconditional love of Christ for you and me and out of obedience to God for his glory, for his glory. And what's amazing is his death and resurrection flung open the gates for us to be united with Christ. Today, I can stand holy and blameless before God because of the forgiveness and the mercy and the grace and the love that I can receive because of the cross, because of Christ. The greatest act of unity was accomplished in the greatest act of humility. This is how we need to live. This is how the church is called to act. 
This is how believers are called to live their lives. If there's any value, any comfort, any beauty, any encouragement in your faith, be united together in Christ. Yeah, you're gonna have differences. You're gonna have frustrations. You're gonna have things you don't agree on. Work those out in love. Work those out with grace. Walk together united in your relationships. Be like Christ. Live with Jesus' humility in your life. Call others close. Don't push them away. Be willing to serve those around you. Die to yourself and love others unconditionally in all you do so that your life and your faith might bring glory to the one who deserves all of the glory. And as we live that way as the church, we can allow our unity to draw others to Christ. In a world that's pursuing empty glory and living vain conceit, we have the opportunity as believers and as the church to draw them to the name above every name, to the name that one day every knee will bow to and every tongue will confess. We have the opportunity. And Pastor Mike, last week he highlighted that we are hated by Satan. We are hated by the enemy of our soul who wants to cause division. And, and he loves to cause division, especially in churches. If he can just get us fighting each other, if he can just get you fighting each other, man, the damage that he can do. And over the years, the amount of churches that have become ineffective, the amount of churches that have split, the amount of churches that have died, because of their willingness to allow wedges of disunity to get in and for them to dig their heels in and to fight about things that do not matter and do not bring people to Christ. And Paul warns these believers, he brings up this truth in his words that disunity can only bring destruction. It can only kill your witness for Christ. It can only turn people away. It can only poison your faith. So he says, don't live like that because he knows the power of believers united in Christ. He knows that their unity will protect and grow and mature their faith and it will make them effective for the mission of Christ, for the impact that God wants to have in and through your life and through us as we gather, no matter where we gather all over the globe, the impact is so powerful when we stand united as Christ. And today, North Point, I urge you, Above all things, may we be a church that's united in Christ. May we work through our differences with love and grace. May we be willing in all we do to be informed and driven by the humility and love of Christ. May we serve and care for each other in a way that points people in Edmonton and Vagerville and Chauvin and all over the world towards Jesus. And as we live that out, May it bring us to a place where we become so willing to come to the end of ourselves and to the start of Christ every single day that we'd say, I want to die to myself today. I want to pick up the cross and follow after Jesus with all that I have. And I'm going to tell you, if you're willing to pray that prayer daily, if you're willing to make a stand in your life and say, I want to live that way, God will help you accomplish it. I wanna pray for you today. All over this place, just with heads bowed, eyes closed, in Vagerville, in Chauvin, online. For, for some of you today, you need to take that choice to, to humble yourself and simply say, I need Jesus. 
Today I choose to come to the end of myself and the, the start of Christ. I know that what Jesus has for me, what he accomplished on the cross was for me and I need to stand before him and simply say, forgive me of my sins and help me to live for you. Help me to be a person that unites others. I know that what you have for me is greater. And today I choose to follow after you. And if you wanna make that choice here today, I simply just want you to pop a hand in the air right now so I can pray for you in a moment. If you wanna make that choice now to say, I wanna follow you, Jesus, with my life, just throw a hand in the air so I can pray for you today. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Thank you, Jesus. For some of us as we head to prayer, I wanna encourage you to simply humbly come before God and ask him to reveal where you need to shift gears, where you need to change some things in your life. Begin even now in your seat and at home and in Vagerville and in Chauvin to ask, God, would you reveal where I'm not united? Where do I need to forgive? Where do I need to apologize? Where do I need to humble myself? Where do I need to love deeper? Holy Spirit, would you reveal in us today, here and now, where we need to align our lives with Christ so that we can stand united and have the impact you're calling us to have. And so God, I thank you for your word that you gave the apostle Paul to spur this church on in us thousands of years later. God, I thank you for each and every hand that came up in this place in Vagerville and Chauvin online that made the greatest choice they could ever make to follow after Jesus today with their lives. I thank you for the cross and the blood that was shed so we could stand united and forgiven with you today. We celebrate those choices today, God. And then we ask as the church, as believers, that we would forever be a model of unity to a broken and disunited world that there would be a love and a grace and a mercy evident in our lives, that it would preserve our faith, that our faith in you would stand the test of time, that we would never push people out the doors or turn them away from Christ with how we are living. But instead, they would see what we have and they would want to experience it also. Help us to live that way. God, I thank you that you have the grace and the favor that you are willing to pour out on each of us as we pray that prayer daily. May we die to ourselves and pick up the cross and follow after you. We love you. We thank you. We pray it now in Jesus' name. Amen.